Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Dr. Tom Rayner. Tom's the founder and CEO of Church Answers. With nearly 40 years of ministry experience, he spent a lifetime committed to the growth and health of local churches and their leaders, having pastored four churches himself, as well as serving as interim pastor to 10 churches. Tom's latest book is When the People Pray, an invitation to intercede for your pastor and revive your church. Before we talk to Tom, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, be sure to leave us a review, especially if you're listening on Spotify. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Okay, well, Tom, this is I'm excited about this conversation. I'm always excited about a Tom Rainer conversation. We work together sure. in a couple of places. We've had, we've we've journeyed through life a bunch of more than a decade of working together. Um, you know, and and it's interesting too because I mean, you've often called like we were at Lifeway. You called us to prayer, um, and you, this book kind of flows out of some of your own personal experiences as well. The book, as as Daniel mentioned, is when the people pray, uh, an invitation to intercede for your pastor and revive your church. So it's kind of a it's kind of a unique approach. It's not, you know, how to pray. It's not here's your prayer guide, but it's it's ultimately a call and a and a directive for churches. But this kind of grew out of your own personal experience. If you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit there. How are you struggling? Give us some background there. Well, I'll do the third thing. I'll do that third thing. So let me let me just say this is an intersection of two things that are part of my passion. One is prayer in the context of the local church. So Prayer always, but prayer in the context of the local church. Secondly, it is my love for pastors in the local church. Then to ask your question directly, this came out of my last pastorate, which was, I think, 1843, somewhere around that. It's been been a while. while. It It came out of my last pastorate when I was really struggling, struggling in many ways, struggling emotionally, struggling mentally. Uh, struggling to put sermons together, struggling, wondering how I can do church. Even back then, you know, before the COVID days, before all the mental duress that we're hearing about and know about. And I just went contemporaneous at the end of the sermon and just put my Bible down. And I said, folks, this isn't like me, but I'm going to ask you something. Would you pray for me? I'm struggling. I'm not going to give you the particulars because it's it's just I'm struggling. And not only if you would pray for me, but would you let me know that you're praying for me? And I ended it at that. And quite frankly, I felt like an idiot. (laughs) I just just said, what did I just do? I mean, I'm supposed to serve these people and I'm asking them to serve me. Uh, I just was highly vulnerable to them. Uh, What did I just do? few people came up to me and said, we are going to pray for you. We just want you to know. Tuesday, after that Sunday, Frances Mason came up to me, one of my senior saints, and she said, you know, I'm going to be praying for you. I said, thank you, Frances. She said, I hope you don't mind. I recruited a few people. I said, no, Frances, I don't mind at all. Thank you. She said, it's a little over 100, so it may <laughs> get a bit busy at times. And so she recruited 100 plus. I don't remember the final number, but it was well over 100, and they prayed for me every day at noon, sometimes for 30 seconds, sometimes for a minute. Some of them were able to go longer independently, of course, not together. That lasted three and a half years, and it was life-changing, and it was a reminder of the power of prayer. And it was also a reminder that pastors don't need to be ashamed to ask for prayer, 
And that's my heart for pastors. Yeah, and it does it does kind of tie together. It's interesting, you know, so many books on prayer are written by people who are, I don't know, they're just kind of more contemplative than maybe you or I are. We're not you, you don't think I, you wait a minute, wait a minute. You, I don't wait, now. Ed, I don't, you don't think I'm contemplative. I do not see you as particularly contemplative, nor do I see myself as particularly contemplative. But one of the reasons I think the value of this book is, and it's it's kind of we're gonna explain a little bit. It's like this, it's this 30-day journey. We're gonna explain it a little bit. Uh, but one of the things I think the value of is that most of our audience who are listening, because the kind of content that we bring. You know, we do we we haven't had a you know thirty minute you know prayer circle on you know how to do that, and so you're somebody who's you know got pretty decisive leadership. You're somebody who's organizational leader and thinker, and all those gifts of why people read so much of what you've written. But I love the fact that you're coming back to saying we need to be a praying people. And again, even the title sort of gets at it. It's not when you pray; it's when the people pray. So for a lot of pastors and church leaders. They're trying to get the people to, you know, come church and get in small groups and give. But we we know we all go back to these stories like Spurgeon saying that the, you know, the engine of the church is down here in the basement. So mm. what are some ways, and you talk about this some of the challenge, but what are some ways that pastors and church leaders, our audience, can help get people to pray? They could do what you did in that last three and a half years, but that does sound kind of like a unique situation. What are some ways you recommend? Well, the reason I wrote the book, and not not with any type of false promotion of the book, I wrote the book so that pastors would have something to ask people to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you brought my son Ed uh, uh, Jess Rayner Ed to to church plant to the church planting world. He still talks about you to this day and favorably. I just want to just want to <laughs> add that, just in he, case people were wondering. <laughs> uh, he, you know, people ask him. He said, "Well, yeah, Ed, Ed took a chance on me. Ed, Ed absolutely took a chance on me." Well, let me describe what is happening at his church. Uh, at, at the church at Spring Hill, the elders found out about this book, and they are using it themselves to pray for Jess for 30 days. Mm -hmm. Now, Jess wouldn't have asked them. I really don't think he would. But I would say to pastors, ask your people to pray. You don't have to have a guided book like this that will give you insights, but ask them to. And then another conversation I had, I was speaking in Columbia, South Carolina this last week, and uh, someone came up to me, a layperson, and said, um, you know, let me tell you what happened when I did that 30 days of prayer for my pastor. They had to be early in it. And I said, tell me about it. I said, well, I prayed for my pastor, but this was one of the first, this first time in my life I really understood what pastors do and mm -hmm. go through. Right. I never really realized it. So it created prayer power and it created empathy as well. Once again, you don't have to have a tool to do this, but if you get people praying for you, they're going to ask, how can I pray? And when, when my group of 100 plus was praying for me, I sent them uh, a message every week. And uh, I don't think it was the email because I think it was in the early days of email, to be honest with you. So I think it was anyway, it doesn't matter. But anyway, I sent them a message every week. And I said, here's how you can pray for me. And when I mentioned some of the areas they're praying for me, they would come back and say, I had no idea that this was an issue for you. So when the people pray, they not only unleash the power of prayer through the Holy Spirit, but they also they also begin to empathize and understand what it means to be a leader in the church. That's yeah, a long I, do, I don't even know what your question was. That's a long no, it's answer. all good. It's all good. Uh, but I do think that's part of the strength of engaging in this sort of you know relational prayer connection. I you know I'm 
I, uh, Kevin Harney, who you might not even know, but Kevin, Kevin leads organic outreach and I'm on his prayer team and he sends me not every day, but he sends me regularly. It's the only person like I'm on there in prayer team that sends me regular updates. And I really like, it helps me to pray for him, but also understand what he's doing and more. And again, I think, I think when people sort of understand a little bit, the audience, and again, the subtitle of the book is an invitation to intercede for your pastor and revive your church. There's a connection between those two. So it's a 30-day journey that people go on. So pastors and church leaders, though, they're probably, you mentioned Jess probably wouldn't necessarily get up and do this if it wasn't something, Jess is, is Tom's son, uh, wouldn't probably get up and do this. And I probably think you're right with his personality. So how would how would like a pastor of a church, by the way, my pastor is Eric Geiger. So we, we all go back. Those are all the, the old Lifeway team. Um, that's so weird. Uh, but anyway, um, so like how would would you get up and say, hey, I think we should do this together? Because it feels weird for pastors to ask people to have concerted, concentrated prayer for them. Talk to us about that. Well, it does feel weird, but I want to tell you this. The pastors who have done this thus far have told me that it felt weird, but boy, was the response mm-hmm. tremendous. So don't think that you're feeling that pastors want to be a shepherd. They want to take care of people. They want to be the servant. They don't want to be served. They want to have a have a picture that uh, they're taking care of the congregation. And now you're asking the congregation to take care of them. It's awkward, but it is not awkward to the church members. I've never, ever heard of a church member when asked, being asked to pray by a pastor would say, well, no, we, that's what we pay you for. We're not going to be praying. We're going to be praying for you. They're actually, they're actually honored no. that the pastor would ask them. There are different ways you can do it. I stood in front of a congregation of a nice-sized church, and so I had a lot of participation. Uh, a lot of the leaders are going to their leadership team, whether it be elders or staff or perhaps a combination of both. And saying, hey, guys, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, guys and girls, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this, but would you mind praying for me? And again, whether it's guided or not, perhaps the pastor could guide it himself as well. Uh, would you be willing to just do a week or two, maybe even 30 days of prayer? Ask, and here's what the pastors say, they're always surprised for the better. Yeah. So I'm encouraging pastors to just do it. Yeah, I do think it needs, it's one of those things that just needs 15 seconds of bold, audacious courage and to say, and, and people are like, who's opposed to that? No, I don't want to pray for my pastor. It's see, I think it's just, we're afraid of asking things for ourselves, but we're not really asking something for ourselves. We're asking something for the people of God to intercede for the work of God to the shepherd that actually God has placed in their church. So let's talk a little bit about that. Because part of, part of this is, is that um, being a pastor is, is really can be a painful thing. I, I you know, it's been, uh, over seven years since I left the church that, that Jess was part of planting, and um, a little almost seven and a half now, and mm. you know it's you know people call up and you know you're like oh we can we get together and talk and you're like oh no what is what does this mean I mean it's just it's it's a never ending a lot of joys but also a never ending series of maybe painful challenges and you talk about some of those um, and tell, tell us about why you shared some of the painful challenges. Uh, and also you accompany them with, you know, how people loved and supported you uh, or others. So tell us why you, you framed it that way. That's reality for the pastors. And it's quite often a reality that the church members do not know. Yeah. So by, by articulating it, there you have it before them. Let me just give you the example of criticism. Most people know that leaders get criticized. Most people have at least an awareness. Most people do not know the frequency and the incessant criticism that always comes with being a pastor. 
Why? Because not everybody is in front of a congregation every week speaking. Why? Because there are expectations of a pastor that are different than most any other position. Why? Because they see that pastor as someone who is supposed to be shepherding them in the most excellent way. And if that excellence does not happen, then boom, time for criticism. Most pastors, before they go into their first church, have heard about it and perhaps have prayed about it, but they have absolutely no concept of what it's going to be. And these are in healthy churches, Ed. This is this this is not in the divisive churches. This is just this is just normal. And I, I try to give pastors a perspective. For example, uh, may, maybe you're at that median-sized church of sixty. And and that basically means you have 120 people roughly in your church if it's a typical attend every other week. So let's say you have 100 people in your church instead of 120. You have 100 people in your church. What if those people only provided an a criticism twice a year, just twice a year? 200 criticisms. That's yeah. almost daily. And so that's that's the nature of the job. I wish I could say I handled it well in pastoral ministry and leadership and other places, but it always stung. And yeah. you, you you were with me many times when I would get stung, and and you you know that my skin is not that thick, and I I, I I'm one of those former pastors who really struggle with that. So yeah, just just getting it in front of the people. This is what you really need to pray for. And I shouldn't park on criticism because there are many joyous things a pastor does too. I shouldn't make it all negative. Well, no, I asked, but I asked that because I think it's, it is a part of the the pastoral experience. And and for me, you know, I remember early on as a pastor, I used to, you know, hear people say pastor was so hard. And I thought maybe those people just weren't working hard enough. And then I realized it wasn't always, because I think there are pastors with different levels of work ethic. And, you know, one thing, I mean, Tom Rainer is like an insanely high work ethic. And, and you know, we, we, you, we that's what we often had there. Like, I, I, I love to work. I love to get things done. But it wasn't so much. So early on, I saw the criticism as whether, you know, you only work on Sundays. But it really, I think the hardest part is the fact that people that you dearly love are the people who often are the ones who become the most challenging critics. And yet what happens is now we're in a world where we've seen some real bad actors in pastoral ministry. And then, so we can't, for some people like, well, we can't just acknowledge that, man, it's just hard to just constantly be critiqued by people. And I think it is emotionally challenging and having God's people pray in is going to be a key part of that. So I, I went right to the criticism thing because I think it's, Maybe, and I, was, I, I just literally had a conversation yesterday with a pastor who just doesn't know how to emotionally cope with that. So that's, I think that's, that's part of the challenge. But I mean, let's then go to other things. What are misconceptions that maybe some people in churches um, have about pastors? And then, and then let's talk about where the prayer relates to that. What are some misconceptions? One of the misconceptions is that pastors have it all together because they are called by God because they uh, can take care of people. Maybe they have advanced training, maybe they don't. But there's a perception that uh, the the pastor is not a normal person. Uh, the, pa the pastor does not go through the highs and lows, the joys and the strains that other people do. And leading a church, my, my, my always, my number one prayer in any organization or in my family, my number one prayer is just the prayer of wisdom, the Solomon or James-like prayer for wisdom. Mm -hmm. And because 
I am not smart enough. I have never been the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I have, I've always had people smarter than I am. And I know I am not smart enough, nor am I strong enough to make the type of decisions and be the type of leader that can lead a flock, whether it's a flock of 60 or 6,000. And so the common misperception is the pastor has it all together. And when a pastor says, I need wisdom, my goodness, all of a sudden he's He's telling the congregation that there is some humanity there. There, there. there is not perfection. And so that, I think, is very helpful to the congregation because, once again, they know they need to pray for the pastor when they may not otherwise. Yeah, but you know that, and if any, you know, we're, there's a certain age where, like, if you went to seminary and you're a pastor, a little older than us, I mean, we were sort of told, um, they were told not to share their struggles because then people would use it against them. And that can, that can indeed be true. Um, you know, so, but later on it became more about being self-disclosing and authentic and teaching and preaching. Um, and then sometimes that's a little too much, a little overshare, but I think uh, prayer becomes a, um, a safe, natural, and I think very normal way among the people of God to share struggles without it feeling something, I don't know, strange. So, so, so for me, I, I like that about that as as well, kind of laying that path out. So, so how would you suggest? Because you know, our audience is pastors and church leaders. You know, they're men and women who who are pastors or on church staffs. Um, and how would you encourage them to articulate the importance of supporting their family if they're if they're married with and maybe have kids? Um, let's go that specific family angle because I think that's one of the beautiful parts that you point to. How would you encourage them to ask the congregation to pray for their families? Well, first of all, the, the simple answer is direct. Hey, okay. would you please pray for my family? So yeah. that's 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 not a good answer, but that's that is that is a self-evident answer. A second thing that the pastor needs to do in the context of that is to indicate his family members are normal people that aren't pastors. So as you pray for them, my spouse is not going to be the one that is going to necessarily be the person that's doing all the things you think a typical spouse would do. Oh, my kids are not going to be in the fishbowl like you may think PKs are to be. You don't articulate it that way. But by telling stories of real people in real families at real time, uh, I, you, you can imagine, you know how much I love my boys and, and uh, I have three in ministry, two of them are pastors, the oldest and the youngest. And so every Sunday, I'm either, uh, by the way, did you know that I stopped accepting engagements on Sunday a few years ago? I, I didn't know that to go to go to church with, with uh, you're at Jess's church mainly, right? That's your church home, home church. It's, it's, it's two thirds at Jess's, one third at Sam's. Okay, so nice, nice. It's, I didn't it's, know either, that. it's either in Florida or, or it's in, in, in Spring Hill. Uh, I wrote a book a little while ago, come I'm a, I'm a church member, but I hadn't been a church member in years, so I thought I needed some credibility to say I'm a church member. That's fair. Now you are, and now your son, who I just think is awesome, is is your pastor. I love that. And I I hear him preach. He does not always give family illustrations in his sermon, but he doesn't hesitate to do if it's a nice fit, if he has permission, and he does so. And the context of it is not pulling on emotions. The context on it. Sometimes it's humor, but what I see that he's doing, he's indicating to the people that his family's human and they're, they're not different than, than your families. And so when he asks them to pray for his family, they feel like they know his family and they think they 
their family is no different in many ways than many other families. So yeah, I, abs I absolutely love it. Uh, he, the only family member that he does not get permission to say something about before he does it is me. And I asked him one time why he did that. And he said, you did that to me all of my oh, life. Wow. It's going to take me a few years to get even, but I plan to get even. So I never know when something is going to happen. And all of his few illustrations about me, uh, it's always something I did mess where I messed up. And his illustrations about his mother, angelic. Yeah, well, and, there you go. And and, and, he, and he said, I just have to tell you all, I have two parents, but I love my mom the most. And he, <laughs> he said that more than once. <laughs> well, I having known all of you, I think that makes sense to me. Um, so... Um, the, the the book itself is kind of interesting in a structure. You you kind of have a, I don't know, it's not a niche. I mean, I am a church member. I think sold like a million copies. But you you kind of have like this this niche for pastors and church leaders that you kind of write books. Among other, I mean, the post quarantine church wasn't this. There's lot, all kinds of good Dom Rainer resources. Uh, my favorite thing is how many people come up to me and thank me for the books that you wrote. I don't know why in their head they like <laughs> it's like well that was Tom, Rainer, but I just I just thank them at this point. Um, but you kind of have a niche where um, you write books that pastors want their people to read. I'm assuming that's strategic on your part, that it pastors is. want uh, their people to read because it's good for them to think about themselves as a church member, or in this case, think of themselves as praying. But this one is sort of different than the, I mean, that you've got this also niche of these smaller books, which I think is fascinating, but this one's got a whole different structure. Uh, and and I want to talk a little bit about it. I remind everyone the name of the book is When the People Pray, an Invitation to Intercede for your pastor and revive your church. But it's got this 30-day challenge. Talk to us about why you structured it the way you did. I wanted to find something that I thought would be actionable immediately. And a 30-day guide is actionable immediately. It's my second time doing so. Uh, I did a book last year called Pray and Go. And it's 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 about basically praying for loss, the loss, and praying to be a great commissioned Christian. And I saw that the response to that was different but good. And so I said, okay, this might be at least a temporary niche that I could go to where there is something actionable at the very moment. I am a church member, use that in the new members class or in some setting like that. Autopsy of a deceased church, we're about to die. Let's get some people together and read Rainer's book. This book is immediately actionable if the people are going to do anything with it, they're going to go through 30 days. So that's the theory behind it. We'll see. New York Times has not called me and said it's made it up to the top 10 yet. So we'll see how that does. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, all right. So so then, but you didn't, the structure then. So um, unpack that a little bit more. So it's 30 days uh, and the people, I mean, I've seen it, but they haven't. So what would it, what would it be like? Because I think, and again, I, I want to encourage people to get the book. And again, so I, I keep, I remind people that it's called When the People Pray. But, but you know, you also said a couple of times, you could do this different ways. So you've got a daily process that people go through. Unpack that a little more. Well, the first process is usually a story. And I like to begin with stories because people get interested in it. It's a very brief story. It's, and it changes every time. And then, then, then I have a time of reflection. That reflection may be a little bit on scripture. It may be on, on uh, the story that you just heard about the pastor. And then in every one of these days, I put a prayer out for the pastor. Okay, you don't have to repeat these words. There's, 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 there's no rote memory words that you have to use. But if you want to pray for your pastor, 
then it's there for you if you really want that to be your heartfelt prayer. Let me let me just give you the example from sermon preparation. I'll make I probably won't read all of it, but it's Lord, may your Holy Spirit not only power my pastor to preach, but also empower him to prepare sermons with wisdom and insights. Give him clarity of mind and heart as he works through the text and as he grasps not only his original intent, but how it applies to our lives today. Keep his mind focused and free from distraction. And then I'm going to go to the end right here. May the pastor preach the sermons with confidence of one who is well prepared, but even more so as one who has been prepared by you in Jesus' name. So all of them have a have a prayer at the end if they want some guidelines on how to pray these specific issues. Yeah. All right. So so then if we go through this sort of process, we are getting people on a prayer pattern. But then it's 30 days. So at the end of 31 days, we don't pray for a pastor anymore. So what happens then? Is it are we trying to create a, a culture of that that's ongoing? Well, we're definitely trying to create a culture. And as you know, uh, a lot of scientific studies about the power of habits. Books have been reading, written about that. And 30 days may not get you there. But if you go there, if you go through it a second time, you'll probably get close to having developed the habit of praying for your pastor. Uh, I didn't want to do a 60-day book because I didn't think anybody would want to pick no, up a 60-day book. No, people don't buy 60-day books, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it can create both culture and habit. And they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Okay, so um, so right now, again, people can, and I'd encourage them to pick up when the people pray an invitation to intercede for your pastor and revive your church. But uh, help us think, like right now, someone hears this and says, "I want to get people uh, praying." What what's the first step to to do that? How do we uh, broach the subject, have the conversation, and invite people to begin to pray for their pastor? Well, let's let's first of all say who is the person? Is it the pastor? Okay. And I'll go back. I'll go back to what I originally said because I know you have a large audience of pastors and church leaders uh, on, on this podcast. So the first first thing I would say is, Pastor, you got to hear me. This is something that your people want to do for you. So don't be don't be hesitant to do so. Yeah. Now, if you are a church member, one of the ways that I have encouraged church members to move forward is do so in your small group or if you're a leadership team like elders do so in that leadership team you may not have the audience of the entire church but you can you can begin with a with an affiliated group there and whether whether you use a guide like mine or whether you do this on your own make a commitment um, my my community group is what we call ours and uh was that what you called them at uh, when Jess was with you. Did you call them community groups? I think we called them life groups, but that was seven years ago. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, it's all the same thing. Yeah. Well, I have the senior adult community group in Jess's church. I'm uh, I'm almost 40 years above the median age uh, in, 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 in his church. So I don't intentionally have the senior adult church but uh, group, but that's another story. Uh, we, in our group, we could pray for 30 weeks. And it, whether it's guided or not, and say we're going to have a prayer each time we come together as a community group, and we can pay pray for it. So there are a number of ways you can do it. It depends on your context. Are you a member? Are you the pastor? Uh, the member, the pastor is going to have a have the option of going before the whole congregation again. It's fourth time I said it, so I'm redundant. Don't hesitate to do so, pastor. Yeah, but it does seem probably in a lot of contexts having like depending on your church, like the chairman of your elders or your vestry or your deacons or whatever. I mean, there does seem to be a value in somebody else calling to prayer, but I, I'm kind of a mixed opinion on that because also too, I don't think a, I think a pastor should be very clear when saying, I want you to, I'm asking you to pray for me. I need your prayers and here's, 
Here's why. So do you have like, I mean, is there obviously strengths and weaknesses of each approach? What would you encourage if you had to choose between those two? Somebody else who's a key leader in the church or the pastor doing it? I would encourage the pastor to do it first. Really? Because, okay. because most pastors don't think they can or that it will be effective. Yeah. They think, maybe rightly so, that it feels more comfortable for someone else to do it for them. That is fine. But I would challenge the pastor to demonstrate to your church members that you really need prayer and watch for the response. Okay. We'll just watch for the response. Yeah, that I like get up and say, I really, me and my family, my family and I, I have to use proper grammar because Tom Rader will correct me if I do not. <laughs> not on your own podcast. That's true. That's true. But we go way back. We had, one of the things I loved about Tom Rader is that we worked at a publishing company together and he did not allow people to use improper grammar. How could you use improper grammar at a publishing company? Anyway, another story for another day. So, Random capitalization. Oh, that gosh. is the worst offense ever. Why is that word cap? I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. And, and, and the use of unnecessary quotation marks is one of my favorites, but that's another story for another day. Um, and so... <laughs> So, um, okay. So last question is, um, what is, I mean, let's say a church does this. What, what, what are we, what are we going to see? What's the outcome of a church praying regularly for its pastor? Unity, which is okay. a surprise outcome. Yeah. You, when you do not have unity in the church, typically the reason is because you have people with their own preferences and sometimes agenda. When you are praying for your pastor, you are all on the same page for something that is godly and right. And so one of the first outcomes that you will likely see, particularly among those who are doing this, is unity. A second outcome will be understanding. And so the next time a pastor does something that is stupid and who does not at some point, you will understand their humanity just a, a little bit better. And as we mentioned early on, the third thing that you'll see is a greater culture of prayer as well. That is not a promise. That is not a push button response to a book or an effort, but that is a likely way that God will work. Well, it's been good to have a conversation with my friend of uh, many years, Tom Rainer. The book is When the People Pray an Invitation Intercede for Your Pastor and Revive Your Church. And part of a long string of Tom Rainer books that have been influential to, and will be influential, but others have been influential to so many. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you, Ed. We've been talking to Dr. Tom Rayner. Be sure to check out his new book, When the People Pray, an invitation to intercede for your pastor and revive your church. You can learn more about Tom at churchanswers.com. Thanks again for listening to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review. That'll help our listeners and other ministry leaders find our content more easily. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.